Hello, Lion Click Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Click Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Before we start today's interview, just a friendly reminder that you can check out the official Lion Click Thoughts blog at lionclickthoughts.com. I recently did a story for a local mushroom grower where I interviewed them and got to know kind of what they do and how they create mushrooms. And I really loved it. There's some great photos, some great words of advice from them, and just some great content in general. So go check it out at lionclickthoughts.com. You can also check out official merchandise there as well. My guest today is Chef Katie Riker. She's the executive chef of Green's Restaurant based out of San Francisco, California. And I really enjoyed this interview with Katie. She specifically goes into one part about how she puts new items on the menu. And I found it truly fascinating. And I really hope you get value from that. It's kind of awesome where she's at in her career, being executive chef of such a well-known establishment. And I really think there's a lot to be said from her story, from her dedication starting there in 2016 to now in 2022, where she's executive chef. And I think there's a lot to be said for if you find a place that speaks to you, that excites you, you stay there and you grow within that spot. I know a lot of times in the the industry, uh, people like to move around a lot. And I've been, uh, especially early in my career, I definitely felt the need to have to keep moving. Uh, But there is something to be said for putting your roots down, starting to build that repertoire, uh, that you can have in a restaurant. And I really think Katie is a shining example of that. So Katie, thank you so much for the interview. Thank you all for listening. And here we go. All right. Welcome to the show. If you want to start off by introducing yourself, that'd be great. Yeah. My name is Katie Riker. I'm the executive chef of Green's Restaurant in San Francisco. Awesome. Well, thank you, Katie, for joining me and very excited to chat. Would love to, before we kind of get into your role at Greens and kind of what made you decide to work there, just a brief background on where you're from and kind of what food was like for you growing up. Yeah, so um, I'm from the suburbs of New York. Um, I am a third generation American on both sides of my family. Um, One side is Italian, the other is um, Rusin or Lemko. Um, When we moved here, it was a part of uh, Ukraine and now it's part of Poland. Um, so food was very much a huge part of my life growing up. Um, we were always surrounded by food. My mom always had a garden, still does. Um, so, um, yeah, it was always very much a part of my life. Um, and it wasn't until I dropped out of college and started working at a bakery that I knew that was what I wanted to do as a career. So one thing led to another and here I am. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And going to kind of growing up, you mentioned that food was obviously a big part of it. What were some dishes and who were some people that made food special for you growing up? Oh, it was a lot of the women in my family. Uh, My mom was a great cook, great baker. Um, Her side is the Ukrainian side. So we would do um, pierogi making days and lots and lots of big food. Our Thanksgiving prep was for 70 because we had just a, a huge family. Um, and um, yeah, and my Italian side was very much kind of like a red sauce America. <laughs> so, um, you know, the gabagool and red sauce gravy, as we'd call it, you know, kind of the typical stuff. But um, I think I kind of leaned vegetarian um, from a health perspective for a long time. Um, so I, I use a lot of nostalgia to create new things through a vegetarian lens. Um, and, um, yeah, I guess besides my family growing up, 
right outside of New York City, I had a lot of exposure to different people from different walks of life. So um, I had an interest early on to kind of learn what other families did for their food traditions. And I, I show my love and passion through food. So it kind of makes sense that I work at a world's vegetarian restaurant because I could kind of pull from different cultures and, and kind of give it back in, in a way that, um, you know, represents me. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome to hear, especially just like, you know, how food evolves and sticks with you. Obviously, for, for me, I don't say obviously, but for me growing up, food was such a big part of who I was, what I am today. And I loved it so much, but I didn't really realize it was going to be a career path for me. Uh, until like I was 16 years old. When was that for you? When did you make the decision? Yeah, I'm going to be in the food industry. Yeah, so I actually had a, a very different, um, a different route. It, I found out a little bit later than that. Um, I was always a straight A stu student. Um, I went to Cornell University for nutritional sciences, and I was on a pre-med track. Um, I was on the crew team, D1 athlete, um, <laughs> kind of funny to think back on that time now, but I realized pretty quickly into my time at Cornell that I just didn't want to study anymore. I was kind of over it. The nutrition aspects sounded cool, like on paper, but it wasn't really like hands-on enough for me. So I dropped out after being like super bummed out that it just wasn't like working the way I had envisioned. Um, and I, while I was trying to figure it out, I said, you know what, I just need a job in the meantime and I'll figure everything out. And that job I got was at a bakery in my town. And I ended up learning how to decorate wedding cakes and I did um, wholesale bakery um, production and, and stuff like that. And I think only three months into that job, I, I started looking into enrolling in CIA. Yeah. And then how I got to Green nice. is I, um, I did my culinary externship here. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So let's go into that. So obviously go, you go to culinary school, go to the CIA, which is also where I went and you choose your externship to be greens. What drew you to greens and why? Because that's a pretty far just to travel alone. I mean, I know when you look at externships, you look at housing, you look at everything and moving from Hyde Park, New York to California is a, it's a big, uh, big move. So what was the uh, decision behind that? Yeah, I mean, at the time I was 21 and just kind of still figuring things out. So I, I had two parameters. I wanted to do something that was vegetarian or vegetable forward. And I wanted to go as far away as I possibly could. <laughs> so um, I found greens. Actually, my friend Rosie suggested greens and I looked into it and it was kind of a love connection right away. So I emailed Annie, who was our executive chef for 37 years. Um, and she was super stoked, got me in. And um, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. So much so that I finished my externship, went back two block, went back to CIA two blocks early so I can graduate sooner. And then I moved back to San Francisco on my graduation day so I can come back here and work full time. Nice. That is a really cool story. It's it's so cool that it works out. I love hearing like what externships lead into something more. Uh, like for my externship, for example, it was a great restaurant, but they like shut down and moved back. They were my chef was from France, and he wanted to go into a different um, 
part of the industry. So that's really interesting to hear that, you know, you go to externship, obviously you're like getting this experience, but you're also laying the foundation for like the rest of your career. So post-graduation, you go back and can you kind of just give like a brief history of greens or like what the restaurant is known for? Obviously it's been a mainstay in American cuisine for quite a time. So if you just kind of give a brief overview for people who might not know what it is. Yeah, so Greens was founded in 1979 by the San Francisco Zen Center. And this was a time that vegetarian food wasn't really that well known, certainly nothing like it is today. Um, It was kind of um, this weird, obscure section in the grocery store that nobody really understood or, um, you know, really sought out. And we're also coming out of this point in American cuisine where, some of the produce that we know today wasn't really like farm to table wasn't a thing back then. So when we had yellow beets and arugula on our menu in the seventies, that was rare. That was new and and inspired. So greens is often called the pioneer of vegetarian cuisine um, for that reason. Um, We also have a long line of female chefs. I'm the fourth female chef in its history the fourth chef and an all female. So that's another really nice aspect. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So since 79 only you're the fourth chef of the restaurant. I know some restaurants that go through four chefs in a year. What has been like the keys to success to kind of have it as a, like, you know, obviously you started fairly recently, but from talking to your mentors or people past and greens, like what has been the key to success for longevity in that role? Yeah. Um, I think, I think what brought me to greens for a long time. So, you know, there's kind of this unspoken rule, unofficial rule that when you're a new chef, you should, for the first 10 years of your career, move around, learn from as many people as you can. Don't settle too quickly. Um, I did the complete opposite. I was at Greens. I struck gold and I wanted to stay. And part of that is um, really just the the company culture is very different than a lot of other restaurants. Um, it's very compassionate. It's very team driven, very family like. Um, and I think a lot of that is is the compassionate side of things. I don't know if that's from the female leadership for all those years or if it's um, from some Zen roots from our beginnings. But I would say that um, it's helpful for not only the chefs to stick around for a long time, but the staff too. I mean, there are some staff members here at Greens who started before I was even born. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and wow. for our cuisine, um, you know, that's, that's, I mean, the staffing side and, and kind of the business side. But um, if you're going to talk about the menu, I think what's made us kind of this, um, you know, mainstay um, in vegetarian cuisine is that we are very um, strict to stick to our um, ethos of celebrating vegetables. Mm-hmm. You won't find impossible meats or, or any, <laughs> any fake meats or, or, um, vegan cheese substitutes like we're very um, strict about just using um, the vegetables and letting them kind of do their thing so we do innovate we use different things we always have new purveyors coming in new produce new stuff new you know maybe we'll do a couple like more trendy things but um, the the core of it never really moves 
um, which keeps us really timeless, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's really awesome to hear. Like kind of first the employee aspect. I mean, to be able to have employees there that long, th- that shows that obviously something is right. That people enjoy showing up to work every day, and just like you know, having they're having a good time. So that is a testament in itself. And then yeah, secondly, going into kind of the concept or the the way you all approach food with vegetables. So when you say like obviously you're not gonna have impossible meat or um, like fake cheese sauce. So you're not ever going to like try to replicate something that is meat at greens. You're, it's just going to be straight up. Like this is how we're preparing our vegetables and that's it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you know, we're not opposed to making um, a mushroom super crispy and Mm -hmm. um, using that as a textural thing. I mean, it's, it's just the preparation of a mushroom, but we're not going to call it mushroom bacon because that's not what we're trying to do, really. We're just trying to make something really good from how it is. But, yeah, we're not really, like, going out of our way to try to use vegetables to, to mimic a meat, per se, you know, if that makes sense. No, it totally does. Uh, so going into kind of your role, obviously your executive chef, how did you come into that? Like, how did you work your way up into that role? And what has it been like for you to become an executive chef pretty early in your career, all things considered at such a, you know, well-known establishment? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I do work really hard. I think a lot of it was good timing too. Um, but, um, yeah, it was kind of a, it's kind of a dream come true. Um, when I was offered the role as executive chef, um, Annie had already been at greens for, 35 years she was you know looking to go into retirement soon and I just loved green so much that it was kind of like an internal goal for me ever since I was an extern like I'm gonna run this place one day <laughs> so it's just a lot about hustle a lot about patience and learning and and um just kind of sticking with it I think um I think also the fact that I did stick around for I'm, I'm at greens almost seven years now um, if I had been moving around, I don't think that I would have, I would be eligible for an executive chef role. Um, but since I've known greens for so long, I'm I've definitely put my time in to be the executive chef. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was a very proud moment for sure. Yeah. No, that's cool. I think what's really great from your story, and this is why I was like, kind of interested to interview you is the aspect of you staying there for a good amount of time. I mean, a lot of people in the industry, when they start out, like you said, that the idea is to go for like the first 10 years, go jump around to new places. But for you, staying there for almost seven years now, obviously it had its perks, but was is it for like, did you at all feel that pressure that you had to leave? Because I know like so many that like go two years at a spot and then they have to leave. Like, how did you kind of stay patient in this path, knowing that your end goal was to hopefully run the kitchen one day? Yeah, I mean, I there were definitely times where I did kind of feel like maybe I should expand. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, you know, I do a lot of research on my own, a lot of um, learning from other chefs, um, just from watching them and inviting them to collaborate. So we're doing a summer dinner series um, right now with three chefs whose cuisines are pretty foreign to what we've done in the past at Greens. And um, 
you know, through Annie's retirement, there was another executive chef or, you know, after two years I became a sous chef and after another few years, then, you know, there's, there's always more to learn. Um, so it was pretty easy not to be bored. Um, and now that I'm the executive chef, I'm, I'm still learning all the time. You know, um, we've made a few changes, um, since I, since I took over, we moved our bread production in house. That was a learning curve to figure out, you know, how can we implement something this good, but keep it fresh and not overwhelm the pastry team. Uh, we change about half the menu every month now, which is a lot more than we were before. Um, so that kind of, um, you know, transition, um, to keep everything super seasonal was an adjustment. Um, and I'm like you said, I mean, I'm, I am this kind of young person in a, in an area that I've only been in for about seven years. Um, so I'm still learning like a lot of, um, the chefs and people around in the community, which has been super fun and super rewarding for us. Um, and we found some really great new purveyors and, and people who are super passionate over the over time. So that's been fun to incorporate into the menu. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. What are what have you been most proud of in terms of like implementing at Greens if when it comes to either the bread or new dishes? What is what has been like the most like the thing you've been most proud of so far as a leader of the restaurant? Um, actually, um, I mean, the menu is super cool. I'm, I am proud of that, but, um, one of, I think the best thing that we've done is we've moved our kitchen staff into a living wage model. So we have, um, moved things around. I've, I've controlled our food costs in a, um, more extreme way. And we budgeted to pay everybody, a lot more than they were earning before. Um, some have gotten as much as like $8 more an hour from the house perspective. And then we've also, you know, been really aggressive about um, being thoughtful with our tipping structure to make sure that the back of house is being really well supported. Um, so, so when you say living wage, like, is it depend on person or is it more so just the area you're in? Yeah, so we determined what the Bay Area or what the San Francisco specific living wage is. Mm -hmm. And there is a there is a scale, of course. So like our line cooks make a little bit more than our dishwashers, but everybody is making much higher than the than the industry average for sure. Okay. Um, and you said you, you were like looking into food costs to kind of make this happen. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I my first like after college, I was a manager in training and then a, a restaurant manager for a restaurant group. Uh, so I was running the kitchen, looking at food costs, labor costs, and those are big things. And those obviously help your like make or break your restaurant. And so when you're looking at your food costs, what, like how aggressive, like percent wise, did you have to go down? You don't have to tell me like what the cost is, but sure. was is it an aggressive jump or like, what did you do to kind of bring it down? Um, yeah, we, we really, um, tightened up ordering quite a bit. Um, we of course use everything that's seasonal to try to cut things down and, and we're just very thoughtful with how we, um, create our menus, but it was, it was probably about a seven or 8% cut across the board. So I, depending on the month, um, I range anywhere between 17 and 21%. 
It's um, really good. <laughs> but, you know, we're also vegetarian, so there's not as much meat. I mean, I guess you can argue that, like, you know, miso for $30 a pound or, or mushrooms for, mm-hmm. you know, $40 a pound in the early seasons. You know, that, that does add up, too. But we're very thoughtful in how we use things. Um, you know, we buy it once, sell it twice sort of thing. So cauliflower stems get made into soup that sort of thing um yeah we've just we've just been really thoughtful about it okay i think that's so interesting and i think it's a testament to kind of how versatile you and the team have to be to be able to like utilize all that because that's i think that's such i think the food costing for people listening shows so much of like with greens how you all are utilizing all these vegetables because you can't achieve that low of of food costs unless you're really like focused in. And like you said, someone could say, Oh, it's just vegetables. But even then, like that's still so low. And if you're managing it properly and managing it that tight, that does mean you are utilizing so much. Um, I think that's really cool. I don't know. That's something that's the kind of stuff I geek out on more though, more so than dishes. I just think it's cool. Like that you have that living wage and all that. So when you, um, and this might be another good question, obviously you're in, the posi- in this position and I know from running a kitchen that that sometimes feels like it's the most important thing is like the food costs, labor costs, all that. Can you kind of speak to your, were your expectations kind of subverted when you got into this position as exe- from executive chef? And maybe looking back when you started in 2015, you're like, oh, I'll get to create all this stuff. But now it's probably like scheduling costs, all this stuff. What's that dichotomy that you kind of had between those two? Um, <laughs> um, I'm still very much, um, a kitchen chef, thank God, <laughs> but I, yeah, you know, I, I have a really amazing sous chef team, um, and I try to make as much of the menu work collaborative, so, um, you know, I'm not, I do create most of the menu, but my sous chefs have tons of opportunity to do stuff that speaks to them. So that kind of takes a little bit off my plate. Um, but yeah, I'm in the kitchen probably, um, I mean, every, every day, but I'm probably in the kitchen, you know, eight to 10 hours, um, four days a week. And then I just kind of fill in little, little bits and pieces here and there. Um, so like now I'm upstairs in the office to talk to you, but I'm going to head right back down and help run dinner service, you know, when we're done and they're long days, it's long hours, but it's it kind of feels like family here, so it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. No, that's but awesome. Yeah, things sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always and it's it's such a big part of your job too, and so it's for me it's like when I see someone like you who can create and also manage all that, I think it's so it's so great to see. It's something it's a skill. I'm I like have to focus in on like operations and whatnot, and I do create somewhat in my job now, but when I was running a kitchen, I was like, there's no way I could like do like run a restaurant like greens where like I need to match my creativity with the, like the financials. Like I could, I don't, I couldn't imagine focusing on both. Yeah. Well, we do have, we do have a really big team. Greens is a, actually a really big restaurant. Um, we could do upwards of seven, 800 covers in a brunch shift on our very, very busiest days. Um, I'd say like maybe 300 covers for dinner on the weekends is pretty, pretty typical. So definitely Um, not one woman show. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Very fair. So being someone who is like, like we, we, we acknowledge that you you were 
relatively newer in your career as compared to some other chefs. And I, another huge reason I wanted to have you on is because I see so many people now not take the next step in their careers, even because they think like they're too young or they're not in a great spot in their career, not in a great spot, but they're not ready yet. And I found that like the next steps for me have always been when I wasn't truly ready and I just went for it. And for you, this is like a huge testament. You're, you're the executive chef of greens. You've taken the step. What advice or kind of what mindset can you kind of relate to people listening who might be like, you know, having that self doubt or that imposter syndrome that they can't take that next step that they want to, you know, take a risk at. Yeah. I mean, imposter syndrome is totally real. I think everybody is, is going to get it. I think, um, as long as you put, really put your nose to the grindstone and, and work hard, even your mistakes are just learning experiences. Um, that was a, that was something I definitely learned through the pandemic, um, reopening as this new executive chef. It was just kind of like, all right, let's be scrappy. Let's figure out what works. And if, we find out something doesn't work, then you move on to the next best thing. So I think just don't be afraid to take that jump, no matter what it is, even if it's just implementing a new program or, um, a new, you know, menu item, if it's, if it's not meant to be, you know, there's, you can always adjust away from it. Yeah, definitely. And when you're kind of going through and looking for the future, like, I guess more so what where do you get like the like your inspiration from to change the menu so frequently and like as you look forward do you ever like plan on like I don't know I feel like with ideas they come and they go but you definitely have ones that are your favorites but do you kind of keep some on the back burner so you have something to pull from later on or how does your thought process or creative flow work in terms of creating new dishes um I actually make an excel sheet and I'm like crazy organized. So I make an Excel sheet. It's our menu calendar. Um, and um, we always kind of have like similar menu slots. So we'll always have a pasta. We'll always have a pizza. We'll always have a stew. we we'll always have some sort of hummus. And um, so that's across the, um, the Y axis going up and down is where all my menu stuff is. And then going across are the months of the year. So I just plug in ideas for the menu um and if it's a new item to like let's say it's starting in january it'll be in red um and then as soon as i test it i change it to green and then as soon as it's on the menu i change it to blue so you see like the whole menu is red in january and you know as you go through the months everything kind of starts turning blue and it's a it's very much a living document if my sous chefs have a better idea than what I had, I tell them to just test it. Or sometimes I have a new idea by August if I wrote the menu in January. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we change things all the time, but it just gives us a nice like format to kind of conceptualize things ahead of time and then um, test them as we go. And it also helps me, since we're a world vegetarian restaurant and we don't like just stick to one cuisine it kind of helps me figure out like okay I don't want to have um like too much of one like region of the world and not enough representation elsewhere so it's a cool way for me to like add stuff in and um and it and it all goes with the seasons too so you know if we get artichokes 
in February versus March, then, you know, maybe we could change something a little sooner, but everything is pretty much set up to be um, on the menu, each item on the menu for two months and then it goes away. Okay. I love yeah. how you broke that down. I could visualize it in my head perfectly. So thank you for that. Is there, a, what's the, uh, do you have like a defined uh, amount of times? So say you're coming up with a new dish, amount of times it has to be tested. Are there uh, stakeholders that have to try it? What's the R&D process like from idea to being put on the menu? R&D is just, um, you know, we, we're very good about our recipes here. It's not like add sugar to taste. Like we'll, we, we do actually make it pretty, um, pretty exact. We don't use grams since we're such a high volume restaurant. We're making batches of things in gallons. So we'll use mm. cups um, and quarts as our measuring units. But um, I'd say as long as you test something the first time, you write a good recipe and then you repeat it to make sure that it can be scaled um, that's pretty much the only parameter, um, for me. And if my sous chefs are testing something, they have the same parameters. I just have to try it and approve it before it goes on the menu. But, um, most often I'm blown away by their work. So it's a really nice process. Um, and then to actually put it on the menu, of course, we run out whatever we're finishing before we, we change it. And that's also helping our food costs. So we prevent waste that way. Okay. Yeah. There's, I know we're running up on half an hour. I know you're about to begin the service. So I don't want to take up too much more time, but I would love to ask one final uh, question just related to COVID. And I want, I didn't want to talk about COVID too much, but obviously the pandemic hit, you took this role and just for me, it was so cool that you took this role during the pandemic because so many people um, kind of, you know, had second doubt, second guesses in the restaurant industry or whatnot. What made you double down? What made you kind of take the next step, even though it seemed like the the whole industry was on fire? And I mean, obviously it collapsed. It came, it's coming back, but not as great. But, you know, it was not great. What made you take it despite all that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just love, 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 love greens with all of my heart. And I love um, what it stands for, not only as a landmark vegetarian restaurant, um, but because of the people, right? So, so many people have are just legacy employees at Greens who measure their time here in decades <laughs> rather than just years. So um, when I took the role, I, I mean, it really is my family. So I felt like when I was reopening the restaurant, it was kind of like taking care of um, my home and, and trying to reopen it and, and give it back to the employees. So the first thing I did was I... Um, brought back my sous chef, Sergio, who's been at Greens for 18 years. Um, I brought back my lead prep guy, Edgar. He's been here for 33 years. And we kind of opened it um, as a startup, sort of. So we started with a very small crew. My, it was my sous chef, my prep guy, one line cook at nighttime, my pastry chef, and then two front of house people. That was it. And then as soon as we got to the point in our, in our takeout service, that was like, man, that was really hard. Too many, too many guests, too much of this. It's like too many dishes or whatever the reason, then we'd hire one more person back. And we were very, um, very deliberate to bring back those who may have needed more help or who couldn't get government assistance. You know, we were in communication with everybody, um, the whole time. So it was, it was kind of like, it felt like, um, 
like rebuilding the family, rebuilding the, the, you know, taking care of the people. So that was um, definitely my priority in reopening um, more than, you know, kind of finding my footing as the executive chef for a long time. We didn't even announce that I was the new chef until almost two years after I took the position because we were just navigating that that difficult time. But um, yeah, that was um, definitely what got us through. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, so yeah, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And all of my interviews are the same. And basically, the question for you is now that you've been on the show, what does it mean for you to be speaking to the Lion Cook Nation? It's the community of chefs, cooks, people in the food world who listen to this podcast. What does it mean for you to be able to speak to them? Oh, yeah, it's amazing. It's nice to com- to communicate and connect with others who just get it. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Thanks awesome. for having Of course. Thank you so much, Katie, and uh, we'll chat soon. Yeah, thank you. So there you have my interview with executive chef of Green's Restaurant out of San Francisco, California, Katie Riker. Katie, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Everyone else, please go to linecookthoughts.com to check out the blog and official merchandise. And if you're listening on any podcasting platform, please leave some feedback. I love hearing from you all what you think. And if you want to go further into any discussion, send me an Instagram DM at linecookthoughts or email me at linecookthoughts at outlook.com. Thank you all so much. And I'll see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast.